You are listening to the Human Care Podcast, part of the Invisible, Not Broken Podcast Network. I'm your host, Eva Minkoff. This podcast features conversations with health entrepreneurs, care professionals, patient advocates, and industry change makers. What do they all have in common? The mission to humanize healthcare. In every episode, we offer unique stories paired with education, actionable tips, tricks, and takeaways, all to help you better navigate healthcare and transform it into human care. Well, welcome to human care. Thank you. I'm so excited that you've got this new iteration of your podcast. So we always have such a fun time talking and I know people really look to you for guidance and leadership in this space. So I'm really thankful to get to be a part of this with you. Thank you. Ditto. (laughs) (laughs) Mutual admiration society. Yes, 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 indeed. Yeah, well, uh, I brought you on to the original Invisible Not Broken like a year and a half ago. Yeah, it was a while back. Also, brilliant episode, but starting starting fresh today. So, uh, why don't you give everyone a bit of background on who you are? There's always tons to say, but <laughs> it's true, and it's been an extra busy year. So I'm Jenny. My name's Jenny Grover, and you and I met because I, for 15 years, full-time advocacy work in the chronic illness space under the name Chronic Babe. And so I had a website and a YouTube channel and social media. I published a book called Chronic Babe 101 that's available on Amazon. I had a membership group. I did consulting with big pharma and with nonprofits. I mean, I did a lot of different things wearing that hat. And I came to that because I got sick when I was, well, I think I have had chronic illness since I was a kid, but I got diagnosed at 25 with fibromyalgia. And then in the year and a half or so following that, so many more hypothyroid, anxiety, depression, GERD, Raynaud's. IBS. I know I'm leaving a couple off there, but you know the deal. (laughs) Shopping list of conditions. Yeah. Yeah. So many of your listeners are familiar with that experience, I know. And so, you know, when I was diagnosed at 25, this is quite a while ago. This was 1997. And um, I had a uh, 56K modem dial up and an (laughs) AOL account. <laughs> Just to put it in perspective. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no social media. There was no fibromyalgia association. There weren't any patient advocacy groups. There weren't, I mean, we we had nothing. And so those first few years, I was like, well, okay, I'm in this, <laughs> I'm in this 25-year-old body that looks pretty smoking hot. I mean, not to brag, but I mean, I was like a competitive swimmer and all kinds of stuff. And um, but I felt like I was dying because I was losing weight mysteriously and they ran every test that they could and found nothing. And it was just this like grueling experience of 
knowing that something was terribly wrong inside me and not being able to have anybody take me very seriously. And I was really angry. So it took me a few years to kind of get comfortable in this body, this new iteration of my body, and start to learn how I could come back to my original path, you know, of having, building a career as a young woman and being a professional journalist and, um, you know, figure out how to do all that, but also have to take care of my body. And it was very disorienting because my friends were mostly my age and they had no idea what I was experiencing and they weren't always that cool about it. <laughs> Some of them were amazing. Some of them were not, you know, I was beginning a relationship at the time that was became my first marriage. And there were lots of ways in which my first husband was super supportive and helpful and lots of ways that he was not. And um, so I started to learn. And so I grew chronic babe out of that experience because I really felt like I, as I started to learn how to cope and not just cope, but like really thrive in spite of it, I wanted to teach that to other people. So I, I did that work for 15 years. At the beginning of this year, I kind of gave up that work. I mean, I'm always going to be an advocate and I'm always going to speak out on behalf of people with disabilities and people with chronic illness. I mean, these are my people. This is me. <laughs> um, but I decided to take the core of that work, which is all about this idea of creativity and resilience and bring that to a wider audience. So now I'm a creative resilience coach. I'm certified. I have clientele, it's really awesome. Um, because I, what I love is I'm bringing components of creativity, which is usually my, like all my passions, the quilting and, um, and drawing and music and movement and all that stuff. And also bringing the resilience piece together. And that resilience piece is a big part of coping with chronic illness. So it's been a really wild ride. And this year has been a crazy friggin' year to get a certification and start a new business. Um, <laughs> but- For the best know. time. <laughs> it's, you know, my coach, my executive coach at the beginning of the year before the pandemic even was talking about that this was a year with a lot of potential for evolution. And so on my best days, I'm able to think of it as just an evolution. Things are changing for me, for everyone, and how can I show up for that? So that's the mindset I'm trying to hold on to. There are definitely days where I'm like, screw this, this sucks. I would like <laughs> I would like a standard paycheck and someone to tell me what to do. But most days I'm like, oh, I love being free and doing my own thing. You know. I feel that 100%. <laughs> there are days I'm like, why am I doing this all on my own? Mm -hmm. Just throw some stability my way. Yes, yes. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, absolutely. Being being a creative myself in, in various ways, it's liberating. Like I feel like I get to be my most authentic self. Mm -hmm. This being one of those ways. Yeah, it's great. Indulging me. <laughs> <laughs> so just to clarify, so creative resilience coaching is an actual, like a certification? Well, I have a wellness life coach certification. It's the first of two. I'm actually working toward my second certification, which is through the International Coaching Federation, which is the big you know, governing body. Um, I have created my own discipline. I have found one other person on earth who calls themselves a creative resilience coach and we're getting to know each other and that's fun. No one else is really doing this precise work, like exploring that intersection of 
resilience, the things we do to get strong, to stay strong and nimble and creativity, you know, the stuff that lets us be wild and free and, and, um, you know, come up with all kinds of bonkers ideas. And it, when you put those together, it helps you become a much more nimble, flexible, creative person, and then allows you to handle all the shit that gets thrown your way, all the stuff that goes wrong. Um, and this is what I learned as becoming a chronic babe was so much about just like figuring out how I could be as quick as possible, how to pivot, or how to, how to turn on a dime when something goes bad. Because when you have chronic illness and you have a flare-up day, if you decide that on a flare-up day, you're going to take the whole day and feel sorry for yourself and bemoan your existence, and that's fine. I'm not saying people can't ever do that. I certainly have done that in my past um, and probably will do again. But when we start to do that repeatedly, it really drags us down. And so that creative resilience for me is that learning that ability to go, okay, this sucks, this day really sucks. I'm gonna throw myself a 15 minute pity party, I'm turning on the timer right now. And then when that timer goes off, I'm gonna think about my resources. Can I get help from a friend? Can I get help from my husband? Can I reschedule some things? Can I, you know, sit on a bouncy ball instead of on an office chair because my knees hurt? Like, do you know what I mean? Like that, instead of being like, oh, my knees hurt, I guess I can't work today. No, well, actually, let's think about it. How can we pivot and make this happen? So I'm teaching people how to do it. I figure I taught people how to do it for 15 years through Chronic Babe. I just didn't know that that was what it was called. And now I know that that's what it's called because I named it that. Uh. <laughs> I think it's truly brilliant. I mean, we already have art therapy, music therapy, yeah. but we call it therapy. And this is, I yes. love that the word uh, resilience is part of that term and creative meaning that it could be art or music or dance or whatnot. Yeah. I realize yeah. I use uh, absolutely dance as a I think I would have called it a coping mechanism at the time. <laughs> sure, <laughs> sure. To build up resilience also mm -hmm. uh, when it had to do my with my chronic illness or in, I would say and or relationships mm. actually. So mm. the pieces that I have choreographed, I've like speaking of 15 years, 15 years I was trained as a professional dancer oh, wow. and I only ended up choreographing when I was sad or angry. I'm like one of those creatives, I guess. And okay. Yeah. So I have a bunch of like dramatic dance pieces that I've done either about a breakup or like, or even about my physical pain where it's just okay. like, I needed to let out my frustrations in this yeah. way. It was definitely liberating. Mm -hmm. Um, actually just like a really quick side story is, uh, when I was a freshman in college, I think it was like five days into college and I took my first <laughs> improv class and uh, the, the exercise was everyone would stand around the room in a circle, almost like padding against the walls. And then one person at a time would blindfolded dance in whatever way their body told them to. So just like true improv with a blindfold and we just were around so you wouldn't bash into a wall or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> The key was that you weren't allowed to start dancing or moving or whatever until, mm -hmm. this is like the quote, until your body commands you to. And I was like, oh, okay, I'm not really sure what that means, but sure, when my body commands <laughs> me. 
And some of the, uh, it was all girls, I think in this class. And some of the girls would uh, wait a little while. Someone waited like a, a full minute and it's like a five minute thing. Uh, <laughs> I laid there for about four seconds because I had just gone through a very bad breakup. Uh, I had just been diagnosed with fibromyalgia and I was a wreck. Um, and so I couldn't keep still. My brain couldn't shut up. So mm -hmm. I started moving and it was all these like really intense, like throwing myself and rubbing my hands against the Marley rubber floor. And I'm doing <laughs> this for five minutes. And then I take off my blindfold and everyone is staring at me. Jaw drops like, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Something's up. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it also led me to create a piece from that. So mm -hmm. I don't I don't know since I haven't worked in creative resilience coaching if that you would call like a a positive way to channel it. Is oh it? yeah, for sure. Well, it's it's some like first of all, I mean, as a coach, like I'm, it's not my job to judge whether it's positive or negative. It's up to the client. You know, it's up to them to pay attention and say, like, how do I, how do I feel after I did this? How do I feel physically? How do I feel emotionally? What did I learn about myself? What from those learnings can I apply to my current situation? And so for some clients, that kind of physical work would be extremely helpful and evocative and might give them answers. And I think for other clients that I have, they would, they would not enjoy that at all. It would have no meaning for them. You know, so it's very, um, it's a very personal thing. And I think that, you know, one thing I've learned about teaching creativity and, and helping people find their innate creativity is that so many people equate the term creativity with a completed art piece. Mm. So they only think they're creative if they can draw a perfect dog, for example or they only think they're creative if they can choreograph a full minute piece that's got a start and an end. And what I try to help people understand is that creativity is actually more like a process or a practice that you can build or even a lifestyle. It's something that you can infuse into everything in your life. So to take your example, you might be a, a very expressive dancer who works through really challenging moments and also you want to build that creative muscle so that when you're <laughs> when you're like doing your dishes and the dishes got to get done and it's real mundane you still feel the freedom to sing a little song about washing my mug you know what I mean <laughs> like you want to start building that that creative freedom that silliness that playfulness that lets you find little moments of joy or maybe not joy, but creative expression throughout your day. And that is where we start to become more resilient because we start to build that practice. And suddenly everything is a creative opportunity. The, the backdrop or the uh, lock screen on my phone can be a creative opportunity or how I write in my daily planner can be a creative opportunity. Um, things that are really mundane and practical that you do every single day have an opportunity for that. For a lot of people in our audience, they're like, you've been at times and how I've been at times, they might be stuck in bed. They might be so physically disabled that they aren't able to work or they're very limited in their movement. And so they might feel like a lot of different art forms aren't accessible to them. 
And so I think it's important to teach people how to find creativity in lots of other ways so they don't feel like they don't have options, if that makes sense. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I have some clients, I, I have a course that I offer, a digital course called The Daily Creative, and it's a step-by-step -step path to cultivating your creative practice in 30 days. And I take people through these exercises and they are so simple, deceptively simple. So I have one client who really had so much fun organizing her sock drawer. She just found it to be the most creative, joyful, hilarious pursuit. And she's reorganized her sock drawer multiple times. And every time she does it, it makes her so happy. And it is the simplest thing, but she gets to play with color and think about what color order she wants to put them in. And, and it's the, the socks are soft and she can do it sitting down. And so it, it gives her a chance to just flex that creative muscle a little bit, but in a very non-intimidating way. And she doesn't have to show anyone the results either. She's not like, I drew a painting or a drawing of socks. You know what I mean? She's just like, I just made my socks in a pretty arrangement. And I love teaching that kind of thing because people think, well, that's not super creative, but for her it is. For her, it's a chance to play because she hasn't, Unlike you and unlike me, who have probably grown up being very creative and experimenting and making art and doing all kinds of stuff, she had never done that. So for her, it was a big leap. And then it showed her she had the ability to play like that. And that opens a lot of doors. Because then when something really challenging happens, let's say she has a big argument with a friend. She, her mind is already wired then to think about all the possibilities to find a quiet space, to ruminate, to come up with possibilities, to think about different ways to handle it because she's been practicing doing that already with something really simple and accessible. I love that you point out how creativity can be the simplest thing because yeah, people identify being creative as like being an artist or a, yes. or a choreographer or whatever. And it's just, it's the act of creating something new and doesn't need to be finished, as you said, which I think is really important yeah. to note. So now my, my, brain is, my brain is buzzing because as you know, I love to talk about relationships <laughs> and I'm wondering how can we build creative resilience within our relationships? Mm -hmm. Well, first I think, you know, when you think about the different people that we're in relationship with, you have to think about we don't have to, but I like to recommend that people first think about who are the safe people that they can experiment with. Um, you know, I'm married again, <laughs> I'm a second timer. Uh, and my husband, Joe, is a very safe person to experiment with. I can sing him silly songs. I can cook him weird food. I can be silly with my body. I have this extra large pair of pajama pants that I think is real funny to pull up over my tatas and walk around in. Like just just getting weird. It's fun to get weird. Oh yeah, I'm totally with you. <laughs> but I can't, I can't do that with everyone. So it's like, it's good at first for people to think about who, who is a safe person that I can experiment with. And then you can start to think about how, how can I show up for them in different ways? Can I write them a love letter? Even if I live with a person, can I write them a love letter and put it in a mailbox? So when they get the mail later, they see it. Can I, um, Think about, okay, we just switched apps to organize our grocery list, which again, sounds super mundane, but we had a whole conversation about how can we fiddle with this app to make it work for how we want to do it. 
super simple, super mundane, but having that app and having our meal planning organized with our grocery lists means that we're planning our meals better. It means I have dinner and a crock pot going right now instead of scrambling at 5.30 going, oh crap, what am I doing? And, and we're able to communicate. And so it's a chance for us to like problem solve and communicate together in a really simple way. But again, that practice, we do it over and over again. And when we had silliness, I was not wearing those pajama pants when we were switching to that app, but I, <laughs> that would have been could great. Be. <laughs> <laughs> I might put them on later and do a weird dance and it'll be hilarious. But finding opportunities to do that with people, I think is really important. You know, friendship, that's a place where there's so much opportunity to build that in, to think about how am I going to be in communication with people? How, how are we going to share space? And this pandemic has been a great opportunity, I think, for us to really think about how we want to reshape how we interact with people. Um, so for example, in the summer, we have a big backyard and we usually have tons of parties, lots of people come over, kids get crazy back there. And we did not do that <laughs> this year because it wasn't safe. But we figured out that badminton is a pretty good socially distanced game. And so you can be really far from each other, not even wearing masks and play badminton and it's safe. And so we were like, all right, badminton. Okay, what else? Like, what else can we do? And we're like, okay, croquet. I can get a cheap set of croquet on Amazon. And we start, we really tried to come up with lots of fun ways to spend time with our friends and entertain ourselves and have some physical activity and be safe um, and still connect with our friends because we didn't want to feel isolated. So I think there's, it's good for us to look for opportunities to experiment, to try new things and to stretch ourselves a little bit, you know? Oh yeah. I, uh, I actually have a little creative brag from last week. My husband and I, we had to fully quarantine for um, over a week because I wanted to go see just my parents for Thanksgiving. You know, we got tested mm -hmm. and all that stuff. Uh, and also it just been a hard week. So we decided it was, I guess it was a plan. We both came up together. Uh, we built a fort. <laughs> we built a pillow fort. Uh, it was like this extra mattress upstairs. And then somehow we have tons of pillows and blankets. I don't know why I have so many. They're totally unnecessary. Uh, <laughs> we built a fort and I used a yoga mat. So it was like, well, it held oh, up. <laughs> that's so smart. And then on top of this, we got dressed in black tie. Zev, my husband put on, yeah, my husband put on a tux. I put on this like red gown that I had and we had like wine and cheese board, made dinner together and it was wonderful. It was just That's so wonderful. delightful. Where are the pictures? I want to see pictures. They're on, they're on Facebook and Instagram. Maybe I'll have to. Oh, okay. Oh, somehow I kind of know how I missed that then. Yeah. yeah, that I think being playful like that is really, that's a really big component of creativity. You know, when we are kids, most of us, at least in the early, early years of childhood, feel no hesitation to get weird, to be silly and to play and try things and get messy and get crazy. And by the time we're in elementary school, people are already telling us to color inside the lines and don't use so much glue. It doesn't need to be runny and <laughs> make sure you use every color and make, you know, they like, they want to put all these constraints on us. And so then by the time we're adults, we don't 
feel comfortable being playful or weird. Like we feel like, oh my God, everyone's gonna notice I'm weird, you know, or everyone's gonna think I'm different and it's uncomfortable. But if you lose that ability, then you lose the ability to make a pillow fort and put on black tie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm combining being a kid and adulthood right there. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's the thing, like we're still kids inside. I mean, I, I've been doing a lot of really deep healing work. I had a very, um, I think the best word right now is to just say tumultuous childhood. And I've been doing a lot, I've been doing trauma therapy and a lot of really deep healing work and really, really coming to a place of understanding that that inner child is still very active in here. She's not done because I'm not a kid, like chronologically anymore that little girl is still in here and she still wants to get crazy and get weird and experiment, be, have, be silly. And, and I want to take care of her in that way, you know? So I think silliness is great. And back to thinking about like, who's your safe person to practice creative resilience with like friends. That's a great place to get silly. I mean, if there's, <laughs> I had a whole text thread yesterday with a friend who's very excited. She's rehabbing her bathroom and it's been a really stressful time. It's a really hard, stressful time to have work workers in your house. Yeah. And the whole household is shaken up. They have two kids and a dog and two adults. And so it's like, it's everybody's cramped and sleeping on couches and there's dust everywhere and it's nuts. It just hasn't been a fun experience for her to celebrate, even though she's really looking forward to the completed bathroom rehab. And so as her friend, I've been trying to be there for her and listen when she complains and give her space to kind of be frustrated because that's okay. She's allowed to do that. I'm happy to make space for her to do that. But she ordered a very expensive toilet yesterday. And so we were, we had a chance to celebrate. And so we were texting about all the things we wish her $400 toilet could do. Cause I was like, oh, does it have a bidet and a heated seat? Cause I have no idea what toilets cost. So I was like, this must be the, mil this is like a million dollar toilet basically. <laughs> Um, and so we, we had a text thread all day about what the things we wished her toilet could do for us. And they got real weird and it was really <laughs> fun. <laughs> and so I think that that's an opportunity to just play, you know? And I think that the more we flex that muscle, the more able we are to do it when things are hard. Like she's the flip side of her bathroom remodels. It's really hard to be in your house getting a remodel during a pandemic. <laughs> so. Yeah. And I mean, look, everyone goes through hardships in their life. This happens to be a time where everyone is simultaneously, at least to some extent, right? But I'm also thinking about uh, those of us with chronic illnesses, which is really like a third of the population. <laughs> so it's not like we're a small group of people here, but how creative resilience and playfulness is so important for us in particular, because it's, it's all just so heavy, so mentally and physically taxing. Oh yeah. Well, I mean, you know, part of the reason that I stopped being a full-time advocate, part of the reason why I stopped adding new content to Chronic Babe and sh pivoted was I had real burnout. I wanted to serve a broader audience and I also was just burnt out. I mean, I've been living in this sick body since I was a kid and I've been seriously sick <laughs> for 23 years. That's almost half my life. And to live in this body and deal with all the stuff I deal with. And then also to have my work all day be about that became too much. It was too much for my heart. It was too much for my spirit. And, you know, it's a lot. We carry a heavy, heavy weight. And so when we can learn to take some of that weight off, when we can 
hand it over to other people to help us or when we can just release some of that or um, find humor in it. I mean, that's part of why my company was called Chronic Babe and not We Talk About Sick Things or whatever. It was Chronic Babe because it was all about like being babelicious. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> I'll tell you that when we were designing my first iteration of my website for Chronic Babe, my graphic designer, web designer asked me if I could come up with one word for the web design, what would it be? And I said, boobalicious. <laughs> and he started laughing so hard and he was like, okay, I think I know what you mean, but talk to me. And I'm like, very, very perky, lots of rounded edges, kind of bouncy, kind of like comfortable and fun and cozy. And he was like, yeah, I got it. I got it. So, I mean, from the very beginning, we were laughing about how, how could we make this silly? Because there were already, you know, when I started blogging, there were almost no blogs about chronic illness, but there were a few, and most of them were like my very serious fibromyalgia journey dot biz or whatever, you know, it was like yeah. a very, very long, very sad diary online. And there's a place for that stuff. Like, I'm not saying don't do that stuff because people got to get it out of their systems. I just didn't want to be that person. You know, I have those journal entries, they're private. What I wanted to do was find a different way to help people, you know, but that, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot to have chronic illness and I, it can be very isolating, you know, it can feel very lonely. And so we need to try to connect with other people and build stronger relationships so that we don't have to carry all that weight by ourselves. And a great way to do that, that, that you've really opened my eyes to it's, I guess I knew this or I've been doing it, but I never really thought about it actively is by being creative with these people. Mm. In your life. Yeah. So whether they be friends or, or spouses or whomever, maybe even when you first meet someone, Yes. I do that. I'm trying to think yeah. like if I, I don't know, I'm, how, how do we make friends now in the pandemic? Do we? Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've made a couple via zoom, like random professional mm -hmm. connections. And somehow we got talking. Actually, I made a re recent friend because we both had like startups that were somewhat related to mental mm -hmm. health and chronic illness. And mm -hmm. her and I have been zooming uh, all the time. And one of the things we do together is brainstorm ideas for each other. Uh, oh, cool. So that's been fun. I'm not going to go into detail about them, but we're both just really interested in what the other is tr looking to contribute to the world. And so mm -hmm. we'll come up with ideas and, um, and support each other in whatever way we can with that. And it's been, I, I guess I would put that in the creative resilience bucket because we've both we both also left our startups that mm -hmm. we began during the pandemic. So resilience has definitely been top of mind for me. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I worked for four years, gave blood, sweat and tears to something to help the chronic illness community. And now I'm not doing exactly that anymore Yeah, yeah. for the right reasons. And she left hers for the right reasons, but we're like, how can we keep the momentum going just in a different way? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear that. And I love that you're supporting each other in that way. I think that there's a real opportunity there to kind of lift each other up. I have one friend, I guess she was already a friend before the pandemic, but we've gotten a lot closer. And 
I've shared with her some ideas I have for a quilting project that's very uh, a very vulnerable thing. I'm basically quilting about abuse and I have not shared the results of it yet with anyone because I'm still I'm still unsure about how much I want to talk about it publicly I guess or what I want to share but but having a friend that I can bounce those ideas off of and talk through that challenging stuff but then in the same phone call be laughing about current events or our her kids or our spouses or whatever that's that's been amazing. And so I've tried to cultivate those kinds of connections during the pandemic. I don't know if I've really made any, no, I have made friends because I did my initial coach training. I started in March, right? As the pandemic was beginning. Uh, I did eight months of training. And so I had a cohort of students and I made friends through that. And we, girl, we are having fun. Like we hang out together on Zoom all the time. We're all, we brainstorm ideas for each other. They helped me, they proofread my website. Like, the, you know, we, we kind of making intentional space to hang out together and see what happens is a really cool thing to do. This reminded me that you and I have never seen each other in person, right? And mm -hmm. we've, we've Zoomed together. This might be our fifth time. I've lost track. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I think they're usually long conversations, so it kind of feels like more. Yeah. <laughs> but I have so many relationships with people now that I have not met in person. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, that started before the pandemic, I guess, because I randomly moved to Rochester, New York, and then I, I probably maybe you found the same. You've been doing Chronic Bake for 15 years before Zoom was ever around, or maybe even yeah. Skype. But because I came into this chronic illness world, even if people were somewhat nearby, we all wanted to video chat because it was just easier. Sure. There's advocates all around the country, but wow, I, I would love to do a tally. I might possibly <laughs> half of my friendships I have never met in person. Mm -hmm. At that point, I might actually look into that. I think it's a little fascinating, but yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's like a fun piece of data. Yeah. I, I have a couple of very, very close friends that I, that I've never met in person and that I've almost exclusively talked to over text and email, you know, that I maybe like twice a year have a phone conversation with, but we are tight. Like they know a lot about me. <laughs> I know a lot about them and, and we're there for each other moment to moment as we need support. And, you know, that's one thing that so interesting that we're on this topic because over my years of Chronic Babe, one of the things that I would say has got to be in the top three, if not the question that people ask me the most, is how do you make friends when you have chronic illness? Mm. And it's it's sad to me that so many people in our community feel like they cannot make friends. But I think that this idea that to be a friend means you have to be a friend in the same way that you were before you got sick holds people back. So if they think that you have to meet for coffee once a week or that you have to live in the same town or that you have to talk on the phone once a week or what, if you have these ideas of what friendship is and a lot of people from their late childhood and early adulthood carry that idea through the rest of their lives of like, this is what friendship means. So this is what it means. We lose all this opportunity to make friends. Like I have all these people that I have met. You know, I have a friend in in Australia. I will never meet her. She's not traveling. I'm not going to go to Australia anytime soon. We probably will never meet ever. 
but she's so cool. And I'm so happy I get to know her and that I've been able to support her and she's supported me. That's a real friendship. That's, but there are lots of people I've met over the years that have told me that it's not a real friendship if you can't meet in person. I'm hoping that this pandemic is showing them that you can have real friendships and not meet in person because we don't really have a choice right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, even, even dating people right now are dating uh, at least preliminarily on Zoom. I always say Zoom. It's like, I think that's just yeah. what we all use. <laughs> yeah, it is. It mostly is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how people are dating right now. I, yeah. I mean, I don't, I, but again, I mean, there's a lot you can do over video chat and there's even if you're thinking about sex stuff there's you you if you can get creative you can still have some fun times and not physically be together oh yeah you just have to open your mind a lot about like how you're gonna enjoy yourselves and each other but it's you know every aspect of those relationships it's it takes commitment and intention about how you show up in the space and you know here's an example i have a a weekly craft Zoom with a couple of girlfriends. And we just know that we're committed that Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. we're getting on Zoom to make stuff. And even if making stuff is me watching them making stuff because I'm too tired <laughs> or whatever, we're still together, you know? And that's that like intentional commitment, I think, to show up. And I have other friends I don't see nearly as often, but we still have an intentional commitment. And I think that's that's essential if you're sick chick like us or if you're not. <laughs> yeah, intentional commitment. I really like that. I'm thinking about my friendships and how we show commitment to one another, particularly when we're not doing well. So for me, actually, my best girlfriend also has a couple of chronic illnesses, although she is not outspoken about it. She doesn't um, mm -hmm. she's not like part of any chronic illness community or anything like that. And, and, and she's been, ugh, we've all been <laughs> kind of traumatized by the process of diagnosis and all that crap. Yes. <laughs> um, so she has been to a point where she's like, I'm managed now and I don't want to talk about it really, but I know that there's still things that are going on with her. And yeah. so I'm thinking about what are the ways in which we provide or show intentional commitment mm -hmm. and I think being aware, first of all, like any relationship, you want to not necessarily treat someone how you want to be treated, but treat them how they want to be treated. Mm -hmm. So oh, someone mm -hmm. told me that recently. It's like the golden rule was how you want to be treated. The diamond rule is how you want, they want to be treated. I was like, that's brilliant. So I mean, I, I this think, rule? Oh, damn. <laughs> Beautiful. I keep this big. It's real. No, it's not. <laughs> Oh, this is great. I'm going to remember this rule now because I love that. Because if you, like, there are people in my life that, you know, the way they want to be treated is so different from how I want to be treated. Oh, yeah. Like, she does not want to talk about it, but she wants me to respect the fact that she has to be gluten-free, for instance, because sure. she'll have flare-ups or other things like that. She can't drive for long periods of time because her knees are really bad. And it's like, we don't want to, she doesn't want to talk about it, but it's, but I can see that she really appreciates that I'm aware and I'm always keeping it at top of mind when we're deciding what to do, what to eat, whatever. 
Uh, and for, for her, that's me being committed to the relationship. And for me, I'm clearly outspoken about what I have doing this podcast amongst other things. And she lets me talk about it. So, I mean, that sounds a bit silly, but you know, like she knows that I need space to talk about it sometimes. She did once say to me, uh, and this was totally reasonable. Do you, what was it exactly that you, do you think you make it more real by talking about it? Or do you think it's worse because you talk about it more Mm -hmm. like on the podcast and whatnot? Mm -hmm. And I gotta say, I still haven't come to a full conclusion on that because in some ways I feel more empowered and Mm -hmm. in control and I have better understanding, but at the same time, she's got a point. (laughs) It's definitely possible. Um, Yeah. I think in my experience with chronic babe and with my own life and what I've shared with people is I find that I'm better. The more I talk about it, the better I am, but I I'm very intentional about how I talk about it because I definitely have encountered people through my chronic babe work who want to complain endlessly. And I get it. (laughs) It's not that they're, it's not that they don't have something to complain about because they really do. But if you spend all your energy complaining and you talk a lot about it, then yeah, I think you're going to feel worse. There's a real mind body connection and that's going to start to come through and you're just going to feel like crap all the time even more than I, than you would have. And I definitely, I know that in the early days when I was feeling very negatively and very angry. And I mean, I talked about it all the time and I cried and I complained about it all the time. And I don't think it did me any favors. I think I needed to get it out. I mean, I don't think I did a bad thing, but I don't think it was helping me. Um, but as I, as I moved through it a few more years, I learned that if I talked about it in a way that was educating people and looking for affirmation and looking for support and connection and trying to find the humor in it and trying to just be real with people, that, that was very different. That makes me feel more connected and more supported and gives me more space to, to talk through challenges or co- try to come up with ideas when things are scary or hard. I mean, that I think makes me feel better. So, I mean, I feel healthier now than I have felt in many years. Part of that is that I have been working out almost every day during the pandemic as a stress reliever. And it turns out that the thing to make me get into a daily exercise routine was the fear of death from a pandemic. (laughs) That's all it took. Whatever works for you. (laughs) But yeah, I think, I think talking about it and I, you know, especially like you know, with my husband, Joe, I mean, I had already been living in this chronic, chronically ill body for many, many years when I first started dating him, but I still, I needed to talk about it. I needed him to understand. And I still try, I make a point to try to illuminate him. It's not that I don't want to complain terribly. I mean, he is definitely the person who's going to hear my complaints, (laughs) but I don't want to live in that space all the time. So I'm really intentional there's that word again. I'm really intentional about how much time I spend complaining, beefing about what's bugging me, because I know that if I hang out in that space too long, I'm going to feel worse, you know? And then I come back to that silliness and I make up a song about it. And I'm like, I feel like shit today, but tomorrow's going to be a okay. Or maybe not. We'll see. I don't know. Like we, (laughs) 
Can you be like, if I'm imagining I'm in some sort of sitcom, I want you in my back, like the background. Just yes. Wait, life. you want me to, you oh. want me to be like, Hey, it's gonna be okay. And then like, because- <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. Uh, you would be the ideal person for that in my life. Also my alter ego, because I want pink hair like you. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, you know, pink hair, as it turns out, is real hard to maintain during a pandemic, but I'm trying. I got you call that doing... pink? What color is that? Well, so my natural hair color is blonde, but I'm very gray now. So it's like a blondish gray, which is like whatever, I don't know what that is. So we've been dyeing it brown, bleaching parts of it and dyeing the whole thing pink. So it's like a brown pink. Mm-hmm which kind of turns into like a magenta. But now with the pandemic, I'm not going to the salon because here in Chicago, it is bad. So I'm not going anywhere. I've been getting root touch-up kits and Joe, my husband, touches up my roots for me, which is the most romantic thing ever. And then I buy this stuff called Overtone, which is like a deep conditioning coloring agent. And so I dye the whole thing pink. But honestly, I'm just winging it. And I'm real thankful to be on Zoom right now because people, I'll give you a quick view, but people can't like mostly see my roots. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm just trying. I love it. I mean, it's also so long. I'm almost at mermaid status. Like I can almost cover my tatas with my hair. So I'm, that's my so ideal nice. length. I figure it's ideal length if you yeah. can just about cover them nips. <laughs> Yeah, that'd be fantastic. So you have go. a goal. You're there. <laughs> if you just tilt your head down a little bit, you're there. Okay, goals. goals. I, have a, I have a goal. I'll see you in a year. I think it'll be long enough then. But yeah, I, you know, even that has been like a, an opportunity to be creative. I mean, yes. yes. during this pandemic, I'm telling you, there've been times where I'm like, I don't, if I do not have pink hair, I'm going to have a miserable day and I will go in the bathroom and put the pink stuff on and hang out and make it pinker because I just know that I will feel better if my hair is like vividly pink. I think we talked about this in our last episode, like a year and a half. It's possible. I want to bring it up again because it's very interesting to me. I believe I have not seen stats on this, But it seems to me from social media and walking around in New York City that people who identify as, let's just say, we'll say people uh, in the LGBTQ plus community and or people with chronic illnesses seem to dye their hair more than not. And I'm not, I don't know what's up with that. My initial instinct was that it's a control thing. It's like, I'm not understood in a certain way by maybe most people. And therefore this is going to be an undeniable identity aspect of me. I don't know. I wanted to hear, I feel like I'm like, I think we did talk about this, but I might, I don't know if I'm going to say the same thing I said before, but yeah, we'll see. (laughs) You know, I think for me, I've been on this kind of healing journey the last year and a half or so. And I've really been getting in touch, as I mentioned, with my inner child and kind of healing that part of myself and really um, coming to understand more deeply that the more I express myself externally, the better I feel internally. So the more I put my vision of myself out there, the more solidified in it, I feel. And that means I feel safer. I feel more confident. I feel more understood. There is something about, you know, having tattoos, like my friend Doris here, 
who has two, she reminds me that I'm always safe because I carry my home on my back because so I have a real, just, um, just for those listening, she's got this adorable turtle <laughs> tattoo on her arm. Oh, sorry. That's right. Some people won't see it. So yes, it's a very cute turtle. She's playing in some water. Her shell is very colorful. And so she helps me remember that I always, you know, I have a big thing about safety and home safety because of my upbringing. And so she helps me remember that I can always feel safe. I can always access that feeling of safety because I I'm here in my body. I'm safe. And so, um, she does that. She also helps me remember to pace, which is so important for those of us with chronic illness, you know, just to slow down. So Doris helps me slow down. But I think that things like tattoos and hair color and jewelry and wearing funky clothes, I'm with you. I see a lot more of that in, um, you know, I see it in communities of people who've experienced oppression. Mm. So yeah, I see it in the LGBTQIA community. I see it in more in my friends of color than in my white friends. I definitely see it a lot in the chronic illness community. I think a lot of people who have been oppressed have been, um, have experienced limitations or discrimination. And I sure have for being a sick person. I'm confident you have too. But I feel like for me, I'm asserting myself in a way I haven't been able to earlier in my life. And that makes me feel stronger. So I'm not sure. I would be curious if there's research on this kind of stuff. But yeah, I think I do know a lot of chronically ill people who have real weird hair. So <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah. So my my assumption is pretty much in line with yours. It makes yeah. It makes a lot I don't of think sense. it's I don't think it's far off. I also think that there are a lot of us like me who like I worked a full-time job and then part of why I left my last full-time job 18, 19 years ago to start my own company was I needed the flexibility to take care of my health. I needed to be able to take a nap in the middle of the day or whatever. Um, and running my own business gives me a lot more freedom to dye my hair pink and to have tattoos and to talk about wearing my pajamas over my tatas and things like that. <laughs> like I, I needed to be able to be that person and running my own company gave me the opportunity to do that. Cause it's not like my boss can be like, get normal. You know, <laughs> no one's going to do that. No, I People can choose to interact with me or work with me or hire me or be my friend or whatever or not. And it's okay. You know, and those who don't want to be, they're crazy. That's just me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they're missing out big time, but you know, I, they're, listen, I know I'm not everybody's cup of tea, so that's fine. That's, that's okay. Like they're all not my cup of tea either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It takes two. I'm wondering what what my thing is because I definitely like I haven't dyed my hair. Well, that's because I dyed it a lot in high school. <laughs> I was like, uh, not it now. So uh, you already had it out of your system in some way. I didn't. I didn't really do that that much in high school. So. I thought blonde would work for me because I got blue eyes, but nope, nope, <laughs> did not work. I looked like the sun was part of my hair and not a good. <laughs> uh, it, it was glowing. <laughs> I guess this podcast is something I do, but. Uh, I mean, it's just constant people not understanding yeah. that I'm sick in some way or that I have pain in some way. And I guess the way that I feel safe is by embedding myself in this community and be like, look mm -hmm. at everyone around me, mm -hmm. look at what I've built or other people have built. Like, this is real. This is That's legitimate. Right. And I'm, and I want to be a spokesperson as someone who doesn't look different. 
or in some way. Like I'm pretty, yeah, you know, I'm a white chick. <laughs> like I wear a lot of neutral colors. <laughs> yeah, that's we have laughed about that before because you are very into neutrals. I am weirdly wearing kind of a neutral color today, but my hair is hot pink and I have a wild necklace on. You have a more subdued life palette. Yes. My like people watching the video can see and for those who can't behind me is this very tall shelf full of quilting fabrics arranged in rainbow order and that's how everything is organized in my house so there's almost no, no room in my house that doesn't have something rainbow in it. <laughs> I need a tour of your house at some point because <laughs> I, well, I'm in this room and I love this room. <laughs> oh thanks I probably will do a tour someday soon and like my bathroom has a whole wall of nail polish that's organized in rainbow order and the quilt that I made for our bed is a rainbow it's just like explosion of color through the whole house but I mean it's we have to live in what suits us what feels comfortable and safe and supportive I mean like you mentioned that you have all these pillows and blankets and you weren't sure why you needed them and I'm like you needed them so you could make a pillow for it like that's why you have them. <laughs> They, that knew. was their destiny. That's why they That's were right. That's right. Well, yeah, this is all, I mean, bringing it back to having creative or like fostering creative resilience in your life. Mm -hmm. This is how, this is one of the ways that you've done it is you've brought color to your world constantly. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, and I, for me, a, a wild range of colors equals possibility. So when I think about what, I love so much about quilting. I mean, there are days in quilting as a quilter that I may not design a pattern, but I, if I can touch fabric, if I can sit and play with and look at the textures and admire the patterns and just imagine what I might be able to do with it, that range of color and pattern and vibrancy it, to me equals possibility. And I think that a lot of things about chronic illness can feel very limiting and feel like all of the possibilities are, I know when I got sick, I felt like every possibility was taken from me. I thought I was going to go work for Time Magazine and travel the world and have all these crazy adventures. And I couldn't get on a plane without pooping my pants because I was having all kinds of health issues. So being a world traveling, you know, journalist was not in the cards for me. Um, and I felt like my life got so tiny and small and didn't have any possibility in it. And I think that after a while, I learned that my response to that was, no, I'm going to build an opportunity. So that means having a big, tall shelf of rainbow order fabric. That means having a wall of nail polish in my bathroom that I've collected over who knows how many years. Um, I want the possibility to paint my nails any color. We have a hundred different spices in my kitchen because I want to see all the possibilities to play with when I'm cooking, you know? And I know that's not everyone's cup of tea, but like for me, that expansiveness feels like an opportunity for something more to happen. Um, and so that's been a big part of my response to my world kind of shrinking in a lot of ways from chronic illness. And, you know, we can take that same idea and apply it to this pandemic life because we're all stuck in our houses right now. And it can feel like there's no possibility. There's no adventure. We could find all kinds of ways. Like if we live with people, a spouse, or if we have kids, or if we're living with our parents, whatever, you could like wake up half an hour early in the morning and write a bunch of weird, silly notes and hide them all over the house for your housemates to find. 
You could build a pillow fort and put on black tie and get silly. You could turn off all the lights and light a candle in every room. Like there's opportunities to play and find joy and creativity, but we have to really look for them, you know? And that goes for this tiny moment in world history of pandemic. It goes for life with chronic illness. It just helps us feel like there's more to this to this life than this tiny what's right here in front of us you know there's so much to create that's right in front of us both big and small that we can tap into right yeah ah well this was perfect <laughs> this is just wasn't where i thought we were gonna go but i love it i just <laughs> love your line of work your thank you, you so much you've created this line of work right i have i have thank you so much jenny you're you're a like a, a beacon of light i think that's such a, like a lame thing to say but i'm trying to think something <laughs> else right now <laughs> but really you just you bring joy to, to my life really oh so really, you thank you so much that 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 really means a lot to me thank you so much it's it is it is a great gift to me to be able to do that for people. Um, and in turn, people do that for me, which is amazing. And, you know, I'm so happy that we met because I think that those of us who choose to do this kind of work, whether we do it forever or we do it for 15 years or forever, how, how long, um, you know, we're, we're serving, we're building and serving community. And I really value that. So I'm so thankful to get to even though I'm not a full-time advocate anymore, I'm so thankful to get to play in this community still. Yay, good. Well, I'm glad to have provided that as well. <laughs> All right, thank you so much. Thank you. I'll talk to you soon. The Human Care Podcast is part of the Invisible Not Broken Podcast Network, a network that includes several chronic illness disability, and health-related podcasts, including Explicitly Sick, hosted by Monica Michelle, Discomfort Zone, hosted by Jason Herderick, and of course, the original Invisible Not Broken podcast. We absolutely love feedback. Love, 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 love feedback. And connecting with you one-on-one -on -one or within our Invisible Not Broken podcast community. So please reach out to us anytime. We're open to topics, critique, you name it. This is a podcast created by us for you. You can find information about all of our network podcasts, community, and how to contact us all on invisiblenotbroken.com. You can also find us on social media platforms through the handle Invisible Not Broken and Human Care underscore podcast. That's it, everyone. Thanks for listening and being a part of our mission to transform healthcare into human care.